0: Yes, good people, it's Francis here from Let's Do Humans Podcast. This is just a quick announcement, just to encourage everybody here that's listening to our podcast right now, just to ensure that you subscribe and you follow us on all of the various platforms out there that produce podcasts, that's subscribing to us on YouTube, following us on iTunes and Spotify. I mean, follow us, make sure that you share our content and continue your support. That'll be greatly appreciated. That's Let's Do Humans, L E T S D O H U M A N S. Let's Do Humans one word. Appreciate all of your support. Stay blessed, good people
1: It's hard but perhaps not even worthwhile to try to define something as global inequality because you find that um, levels of inequality, trends in inequality are really different across um, countries in the world. So uh, for a long time, the Latin American countries have been marked by really, really um, stark inequalities, but the trend in those countries is actually downward. So countries are becoming slightly less unequal economically speaking. Um, Whereas in the West, Western Europe, um, for instance, inequalities have historically always been at a much lower level than other countries and regions of the world. But it's right there that inequalities have really increased uh, since the 1970s and 1980s. Uh, So we see kind of different trends according, uh, you know, uh, depending on where you're looking and definitely sort of different expressions of, of inequality in different parts of the world. But um, so, so for instance, um, Branko Milanovic in his work has described how if you compare countries, all countries in the world, then in, in fact, inequality between countries is actually um, decreasing a little bit as some of the formerly really, really poor countries are becoming uh, middle-income countries are making huge economic progress, countries like Sweden, uh, sorry, Sweden, countries like uh, like China, countries like India. Um, so, you know, many, many millions of people are, are being sort of pulled out of poverty in these countries. And that is making the overall differences between those, you know, Western, traditionally sort of rich um, industrialized countries and those formerly, poor and so-called developing by some countries uh, actually a little bit smaller. What is standing out, though, in those countries like India and uh, and China is that the inequalities within those societies, uh, for instance, in China, there's a really, really, really uh, market difference between those in rural areas and those in urban areas. Those inequalities are growing, right? So we see more unequal... Uh, societies, basically, but if we would zoom out and look at the whole world and the whole sort of you know collection of countries that are globe features, we actually see a, a little bit of a decrease in inequality. Yeah.
0: Um, in terms of inequality, how how is that measured? Is that you know is mm. that our ability to survive or ex- having access? How we, how what's the metrics to measure inequality?
1: Yeah, that, that's a great question, and it's a question that we I don't think we quite ask often enough yeah. uh, we tend to uh, and by we I mean both in the scholarly community and in news reporting um, we tend to just rely on some simple metrics um, and kind of uh, reify those metrics as if they are describing something uh, happening in real life like for instance the genie coefficient is an expression of how unequal um, income and wealth is divided within a certain country. So that's a measure that many people look at, and you can you can look at how how that measure has changed over time, and that allows you to say, look, inequalities have increased. But what that means for that particular society, I think, is a slightly different. And well, not not just slightly. It's a significantly different question, and that's also the question that I ask in my work. Like how is this statistical reality of, of, of growing inequality, how does that manifest itself in changes in the nature uh of our society and what kind of consequences that does that have? Does that
0: have? Yeah. Um so is, is there like a specific um is there something specific that happened in history that caused this major um split in in between those that have and those that have not? Like was there a major mm-hmm. um incident that occurred that, that caused the, the M- massive increase in inequality Is something yeah well important? a lot
1: of it yeah a lot of it just results from from political and policy choices so um, after the second world war uh, as ma- many countries were rebuilding um, a- a- similar as, as after the first world war as many countries were rebuilding they were confronting dire economic conditions and they kind of had different paths to go from there so um what happened after the Second World War in in the U.S., for instance, is um, you know the the New Deal, uh, a, a program of trying to address uh, economically dire situations by uh, going for something close to full employment, creating you know millions of jobs, uh, investing a lot of public resources to get people up on their feet, and um, combined with taxing very high incomes at a uh, at a very progressive rate. So back then, um, the t- the top marginal income tax rate in countries like the US, but also in the UK, approximated 90%. Uh, so over a certain threshold, you would pay nine, um, 90 cents out of a dollar uh, would go to the state. So those kind of, Uh, that that was a political decision and and that was true for a couple of decades and then starting in the 70s and 80s in a time that that people now refer to as sort of the rise of neoliberalism um, but a whole set of new ideas about how the market should be the leading force and not the state and how the market should be also, the organizing principle in domains where it never really had that much of a role, like uh, education, healthcare, care. Um, and those changes by people like Margaret Thatcher in the, in the UK, uh, by Ronald Reagan in the US, but by many governments uh, across the globe in both European nations and in Latin America and other countries, um, that's that's where we see a big shift, and that's where we see um, much more of a stark contrast between people at the uh, so-called uh, top and lower rungs of the social ladder. Yeah,
0: um, there was something interesting and. and Something that kind of took me by surprise when I was watching your your TED talk, and that was in regards to you're showing these pictures of various borders between um, mm-hmm. the different neighborhoods where they the poor live and where the rich live. And yeah. I've I've ever firsthand I've seen this and I've witnessed it. You know, coming mm-hmm. from Ghana and constantly visiting Ghana, I see these borders physically, and it's always made me feel a certain type of way because now my family is able to live in a gated community, but just outside of that gated community, 20 feet down the road is you know adverse poverty at a ridiculous yeah. ray and um when when I walk, when I visit Ghana and I walk through those neighborhoods, I see people working extremely hard in comparison to those within those borders. And the assumption with, uh, with those that work extremely hard that have various jobs, there'll be taxi drivers, farmers. I mean, one individual have 10 extremely difficult tasking jobs. Their idea is that the harder they work, the more of a chance they have to move into these gated um, neighborhoods. So th- they have the idea that, you know, meritocracy is a thing. Yeah. I'm. I'm more recently, as I get, as I'm getting older, and I'm sort of becoming more vigilant and more of aware of my surroundings. Especially when I'm in Africa, I'm starting to realize that it's a bit of a fallacy, and they do. Some of those people tend to work harder than those that live within those borders. What, yeah. what is your, what is your idea of like meritocracy and the idea mm-hmm. of of um, like being able to transition between classes?
1: That's a great question. Um. So. I think that is very much the promise. I think you've 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 summarized quite well what what it is that we think of when we hear this term meritocracy, or it it it, it finds itself um, in different forms. We encounter it uh, sometimes in the television programs that we watch, uh, like Dragons Den, or mm. or even the show like Survivor, or even um, one of those um, talent shows where we 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 see we think we're seeing some someone with extraordinary abilities and talents and a lot of hard work and commitments and ambition uh, becoming extremely successful because of it um so sometimes we we kind of we think that hey that that is how the world works and and to the extent that it actually does indeed we are sort of living in a, a meritocratic society akin to um game of sports like some sort of athletic competition where whoever jumps farthest or runs fastest wins mm-hmm. but in reality that's not quite the society that we live in um even the example of sports allows you to see you know look at the premier league and look at the enormous differences between re- in resources that a team like manchester city has when you know in, in a good week um they can rotate so many players that they'll have like 400 million worth uh, on, on their the bench. bench alone, on their bench. <laughs> yes. Exactly. That's more than an entire other team is worth. And what, when when teams meet in Europe, it, 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 you see teams with enormous budgets facing teams with very tiny budgets. So uh, even in the realm of sports, there's an, a, a lot of inequality, not just in outcomes, but in the resources, the starting position, the so-called playing field which is not level it's not a level playing field it's an extremely tilted playing field now that is true for so many other parts of our society um, yet we we continue to tell each other uh, these stories of how people made it by virtue of their hard work and their talents and uh, I think that perpetuates this belief in meritocracy uh, which is simply isn't true
0: mm. I think the, the dream of selling, the dream of talking about the story of an outlier is one that um, is quite interesting because me and my friends always have these discussions in regards to, like, rappers and, you know, yeah. um, athletes and so forth. And I've got friends who are like, you know, when if you was to go on their social media right now, they're very, like, anti-capitalist. Um, yeah. But if, if Jay-Z was to sign a big deal tomorrow everybody's going to be talking about it as if like it's the best thing that ever happened and and i don't really think they, they really reflect upon what they're saying and what they believe in i mean at the moment i'm not sure where i stand in the realms of like you know capitalism socialism i'm still learning i'm still trying to figure it out i'm still trying to figure out what who i am as a person and what works best for myself and also for greater society but it's a it's a place where when we saw these dreams of these outliers and these individuals, we're under the assumption that, you know, it's, it's a possibility. But when you look at the numbers, it's absolutely ridiculous because you can count mm-hmm. those people with one hand. And then, you know, if you was to measure that up to all the people trying to make it in the world, it's absolutely ridiculous. There's no measuring up. Um, in terms of like the the issue, how bad is it? like you know because some people say oh majority of people now as i just talked about early on in regards to what what my assumptions were with capitalism i mm-hmm. I'm, I'm always under the assumption that okay most people are eating that like, most people are coming out of adverse poverty but you yeah. know the more i look into it i realize that it's not necessarily that but how bad is the actual issue for those that don't look at the figures those that don't necessarily understand what's happening
1: sure well so there's a bit of a good news bad news uh, aspect to this so if we are to compare uh, where we find ourselves in many countries in the Western uh, world, um, like UK or the US, then um, um, we currently have a much lower poverty rate than uh, these countries had in the 1950s and 60s and 70s before inequality really started uh, rising. So in that sense, um, being poor today uh, probably means uh, in material sense um, uh, less deprivation and slightly less dire circumstances than what it meant what it looked like as, as to be poor um, back some 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 40 40 years ago uh, 50 years ago so that you could you could take as a good news story now um poverty, continues to exist in in the United States, for instance, about one in five um, um, children is growing up in poverty, uh, which is quite stark, um, particularly because uh, this is part of the the bad news aspect of this story. Um, Whereas perhaps, you know, perhaps there's been some increase in in life circumstances for those people at the bottom of society. the, the differences between rich and poor have really, really, really grown uh, to the point where um, nowadays, like your typical CEO uh, will make about 400 times as much money as the average worker, um, which is not just a reflection of, of differences in, in, in money and resources, but also in opportunity. So if you are born in a wealthy family, your chances of yourself becoming wealthy as an adult are two to three times higher uh, than uh, if you're not born uh, into a wealthy family. Mm -hmm. So we're not just talking about um, the sort of rewards to being successful in society. We're talking about those that that playing field and that playing field it's very, very tilted. Yeah,
0: Is that because we socialize within our social circles? So it's very difficult to then, you know, blend amongst the classes.
1: Well, there's some, yeah, there's some degree of sort of uh, pulling up the gates or, um, or the ladder, as you will, like sort of first you climb it and then you, you remove it. Um, there's a, there's definitely an, uh, an impact. Um, I mean, there's a lot of, support we can provide each other or that we could provide each other um, but if we limit our interactions and um, make friends only with people in similar economic circles then that means that we provide a lot of support to people who are in a similar position as us and if we are in an advantage position that means we're extending our advantages to other people who are in an advantage position yeah. if we're if we're struggling and we're surround ourselves with other people who are similarly struggling, then there's really not that much we can help each other with. So in that sense, forms of segregation in society, not just racial and ethnic segregation, but also economic segregation, where rich and poor leave entirely disconnected lives. Um, I think that, that means that we're, uh, we find ourselves in different situations, different spaces, different networks, and that hurts our ability to... Um, uh, to kind of equalize opportunities, but it also leads to a very distorted uh, worldview, uh, if you will. It it if you surround yourself with other people who are similarly privileged, then you know, looking at society, um, you probably think it's a lot, it's a lot more fair and and equal than it really is, because your view of society um, is is indeed quite distorted. Yeah. And, and, and I think that is one of the major problems that we're facing now, where we see growing levels of inequality across these Western societies. Uh, but when it, when it goes together with, with economic segregation, with entirely disconnected social lives, then uh, we really fail to see those, those trends. And we, see, we fail to see not just the extent of inequality, but also just how unmeritocratic our society is. Mm -hmm. and how unfair these different outcomes are.
0: Yeah, most definitely. And that kind of ties into my next question I was going to ask in regards to like, you know, solutions. So right now we know that these issues are there and we know that the inequality gap is continuously Mm -hmm. expanding. So how do we go about closing the distance on this? Like so, what what can a normal man on the street or normal woman on the street do to close this distance? Because I'm 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 shut off to that idea, so I'm stuck in my own little social class. You're stuck in your yeah. own little social class. Everyone's tribalistic by nature in various forms. So, mm-hmm. and there is a problem that's occurring and creeping up on us. How do we go about solving this before it explodes and becomes something that's uncontrollable?
1: Yeah, well, that's that's a that's um that's certainly a scenario that that may happen, right? Um where these these inequalities continue to grow, people continue to kind of ignore them until we reach a boiling point, right? That, that, is, that is perhaps the, the the way we're we're heading uh, in some of our really, really unequal societies. Um, and, which is also a way of saying that uh, nobody stands to gain um, from a situation of extreme inequalities. Um, and I think it's that realization perhaps that could, um, you know, put people into, into action, even if they themselves are currently not suffering. What, um, what is difficult about all of this is that it, it's basically the question of how do you create political support for change for say more government intervention, more income redistribution, equalization of chances and opportunities for everyone, regardless of your income, how do you create support for those kinds of changes uh, when we are unaware of, um, of just how unequal our society is? So in a way, if you uh, want to make a, a real change, perhaps the, the, the biggest change we can make is our changes that allow us to see and be aware um, of the div- diversity of our society, uh, economic... Um, as well as ethnic and, and racial diversity, to kind of have more interactions across um, economic fault lines, to um, have more integrated schools and neighborhoods, uh, to connect to people uh, outside of your direct network. Because I think it's through those interactions, through those contacts, and through those kind of experiences that we we develop a much better understanding of just what kind of society we live in. And and, and that should be the starting point for, I think, a more critical assessment of where we want to be heading. Um, Because right now uh, we're kind of stuck in what could be sort of a feedback loop where the more society grows unequal um, and the more segregated we become in our own enclaves, the less we see all of these growing inequalities, and the less we're concerned about it, and the less likely we are to politically vote and demand change. Yeah. yeah um, that- so that's the, yeah, go ahead.
0: Yeah, no, that's that's very interesting, because when you look at, I think, countries like Norway, where they don't necessarily have um, catchment areas when it comes to schools, and in particularly at the younger ages, younger stages of um, education, and that really helps in terms of integrating everybody, uh, because the issue is with, when you look at schooling particularly, you know, here in the UK, we've got catchment areas, So it's like I can't go to a school over there because it's not in my catchment area. So if I live in an area with bad education in the first place, there's no way I'm going to be on the same level as someone else who's in a better catchment area than me. That's more exactly. wealthy and that has a better school system where the teachers are being paid more. Because if the incentives are bad in my area, nobody wants to be a teacher here. So yeah. you're not going to get the best out there. Um, they start the crop coming out of universities and those wanting to become teachers. So it it, it sounds to me that policy seems to be the only solution to this. Is, Is that right to make that statement?
1: Well, I think we can all make an effort to connect and engage with, um, you know, people outside of our direct networks to show empathy and support where we can. Um, but obviously, to the extent that our networks are and our sort of social spaces and, you know, our workplaces, the schools we go to, et cetera, are segregated economically, then it is really hard to even see and encounter and interact with people outside of our sort of spheres. Uh, so it, it, that's quite an ask uh, of individuals. And I think we could help all of us have those kind of experiences and interactions. Uh, through policies that, that make a, um, do a much better job of integrating young children from an early age. So in, um, I think Norway is actually a good example. Uh, in France as well, uh, children will go to school from the ages of two or three uh, through universally uh, publicly funded preschools, uh, which is like a very early site for, for interactions, not just between children, but also between parents. Right. Uh, so if that if, if we think of those sort of collective universal resources for all of our society, then we're also creating meeting points. Um, and from that, I think, uh, can grow an awareness uh, realization and, and probably also a strengthening of solidarity and empathy.
0: Yeah, most definitely. And I think it starts from a young age, because I think mm-hmm. I, I was kind of lucky and blessed in that sense that I, I've got that i got a natural um, integration and mix of cultures and diversity just by plane accident because, you know, my parents ended up here and then I was with this group of people because I always tell these stories that when I first moved to Sweden, I went there, uh, um, it looks like primary school age. I was the only black kid in school. Then, um, well, coming from Ghana being uh, purely I lived in Kumasi, which was, you know, purely black neighborhood, African neighborhood. Then I moved to Sweden, where I was the only black kid in school. This was like early 90s. Then I moved to Bang, middle of East London, where majority of my classmates were Asians. My best friend's from Pakistan mm. now. And there was only one white kid in my class. So I've gone through various classes and various, like, you know, demographics and groups of people. And it's made me understand human beings in general as a whole in a greater light. So the way that I view the world is very different from the way that some of my East London friends view the world or or some of my Swedish friends who I'm still in contact with view the world mm-hmm. or some of my Ghanaian friends and I only realized this because I was able to play in all of these fields but you know if we're going to live in a society that's going to be multicultural diverse we need to find better ways of everyone understanding each other and also breaking yeah. those boundaries and barriers where we where we're mixing up in schools where we where we're sharing ideas and thoughts because without that it's going to lead to chaos on the streets which tends mm-hmm. to happen in most places
1: Yeah, and it all starts with shared experiences because if we don't understand where people are coming from, if we have no idea of sort of what they went through, then it's really hard to ask people to have empathy, to have understanding, to have respect for others. Uh, If they are so foreign and alien, if their life worlds are so disconnected from ours, then it becomes almost an intellectual exercise to try to sort of comprehend what's happening. Whereas if we share some of our experiences from an early age on, then it's much easier to make those kind of connections. And I think that really keeps us from drifting apart.
0: Most definitely. And um, there was something I, I was looking into um, most recently, and I just wanted to know your, your thoughts on it. So sure. I, I was looking into um, poverty and violence, and um, mm. I, I came across I came across a lot of stats that show that this, this seems to be more Violence in areas of relative poverty than it is in areas of when it talks about extreme violence and you know in areas where there's just poverty. So, for instance, with areas where everybody's poor, everybody's poor, but areas where there's like you know dots of poor people and you know mm-hmm. rich living side by side. There seems to be a surge. Is, is there something to that, or am I reading too mm-hmm. much into that?
1: No, there's something to that. There, there was a very interesting study uh, f- a few years back where. A bunch of researchers they they pull together uh, data from um, um, thousands and thousands of flights, and um, uh, they they try to explain incidents of uh, what's called air rage, which is when passengers uh, in the middle of a flight uh, become um, uh, become agitated, and some sort of fight or conflict ensues. And what they found is that those moments of air rage were much more likely to happen in situations, in flights, where um, economy uh, seats, so people sort of just being regular flight passengers, had to board the plane and pass through the first class, uh, business class, sort of elite uh, passengers uh, before being confronted with their own uh, much less comfortable uh, seating area. So uh, there is something to be said by how that conflict, that realization of what you're missing, uh, what you don't have can make people especially, um, well, either just sort of angry or um, you know, realize that perhaps there's an injustice here. Perhaps there's some unfairness here. Perhaps, indeed, uh, I am working just as hard as those people are, but somehow they live in their fancy houses where uh, uh, you know I live in my my housing estate uh, which is overcrowded etc right uh, or you know they're driving fancy cars whereas I'm stuck with my BMX bike mm-hmm. so there's there's definitely sort of um um I think there's a there's a sense of those those contrasts being especially painful and that perhaps leading to 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 violence and conflict mm-hmm.
0: I can, I can definitely see that happening. And I truly believe that because there's been even instances where, so there's a particular part um, in my area that I, I drive past sometimes is where all the massive houses are. So mm-hmm. I drive through that to get to my parents' house. And every time I drive through that area and then I come over to the other side, there's an emotional play that happens internally. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes it plays as a form of motivation because, you know, we, we it's, it's the mind again. And other mm-hmm. times it's like, you know, it, it kind of demoralizes you like, Wow! I just drove past a whole bunch of Bentleys, gated communities, and yeah, what now? Type of situation.
1: No, that's. Uh, I mean, it is very honest of you, <laughs> like to share it because I think I think you're you're right. I think all of us have that, right? There can be something motivational. Uh, sometimes we just feel a little bit better by comparing ourselves to to those uh, that are that are um, less well off than us, which is a, a cruel thing to say. But but sometimes. You know, uh, even if it's a friend of ours who struggles with something, at least we can sort of, you know, there's a a part of us where we are relieved that we don't find ourselves in that situation, right? Whether it's romantic issues or whatever it is. Um, So we're all familiar with that feeling. And sometimes I think that feeling is brought out and produced in these kinds of comparisons. But at the same time, wouldn't we all be happier if we weren't confronted and if we had... um, you know, sort of the, the, the the guarantee, if we, if we were reassured that nobody was suffering, that that nobody was starving, that nobody, um, was in, in dire straits, wouldn't that be such a comforting thought? Um, so, so I think there's, 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 while there may be something sometimes positive about making those kind of comparisons, I think there's a lot of emotional strain, uh, produced and um in, in in being confronted with those kind of situations and i think it eats away at us right it, it produces a sort of a guilty consciousness it raises painful questions about what it is what is it that that make us deserve uh, to be better off mm-hmm. um did we really earn that and and it leads us to then have to kind of cope with that feeling uh, and in part i think the way we cope with it is that we continue to Um, reproduce this this illusion of living in a meritocratic society so that we can justify our own successes as deserved and earned. And we can kind of look back and explain away all of the misery that we see around ourselves as being the deserved outcome of people who are just not talented enough. They just never really worked hard. They were lazy. You know, those kind of tropes, which are... Completely inappropriate, but uh, I think it's 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 the result of this coping process with something that we know and we feel is not quite right, yeah. but we but we need to find some sort of explanation for it.
0: Yeah, cross culturally, there is um, there's various ways that people have their coping mechanisms. So mm-hmm. I, I travel to Thailand quite a lot, and um, mm-hmm. there there is this belief that in Thailand, you know, it's all about luck. Um, there's, there's this cultural belief that you know the, the some of the rich people is because they're lucky. If if you got bad luck and you're poor, you know that means your your luck isn't great. And yep. it ex- kind of explains exactly what you just mentioned there in regards to like you know various coping mechanisms to deal with what mm-hmm. is that's happening within a greater system that we're all kind of like entangled in. And there's something funny that um, happens a lot within an African home. What happened in my house and many of my African friends' house is mm-hmm. when you were younger and your parents were trying to make sure that you finish all your food, they always remind you that there's someone back home. Who doesn't have what you have, what you what you what you've been privileged to have right now is food, and that's another thing that was kind of like pushed upon us to encourage you to you know finish your food now because yeah. you know, you, you're privileged to have this whilst others don't. Um, in terms of systems, is there a country in this world, or is there a particular system that you see as the most fitting in creating a more equal society?
1: Hmm. Well, um, I mean, it's a little bit hard because it's especially those. Uh, western countries that stood out as being relatively egalitarian um that had really low levels of inequality like sweden where where you grew up um um you, you said you you were you you were there in the 90s yeah so i was there from
0: 1990 90 to 98 or 97 yeah i was there for about six so, years
1: so that's sort of exactly the period where income inequality in sweden uh, kind of, I think it triples almost uh, mm-hmm. according to some different metrics. Mm-hmm. So Sweden, which used to be one of the most egalitarian countries um, economically speaking mm-hmm. uh, in the world, really also became much, much more unequal and also much more segregated. Um, oh, yeah. So, so, um, so what? 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 I perhaps thirty years ago, I probably would have said Sweden, uh, mm-hmm. but um, but I think at this point, I would say take any country in the West and go back 30 years and you'll find a much better situation in terms of inequality, right? Um, even in some place, although in some places they've made some progress in addressing dire, dire um, poverty. Um, I think we are living in a more unequal, um, under much more unequal circumstances. And there's something really painful about those, but um, it's hard to, to kind of come up with a, um, a blueprint for what an un, what an equal society would look like, but we do have some policy lessons, I guess, that we can share. So one is um, make sure education is available to everyone. There's no economic barriers to um, enrolling in 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 preschool, um, public school, uh, all the way through university. In fact, in many countries around the world, university education is free. Um, uh, maybe you pay a little bit in administrative fees, but there's no tuition. It's really the US, the UK, um, maybe Switzerland. There's only a few countries that really stand out with with really high tuition rates. And, And in other countries, it's just considered to be part of the sort of public resources that are available to everyone. Now, that itself is worthless if you don't have any opportunity to go to school in the first place because your parents are in situations of dire poverty where uh, they cannot even they cannot afford to 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 miss you to lose you as a child right so they they in many countries around the world young children are uh, they 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 have to help out to to um, yeah. make some money for their families to run the household etc uh, so so under those circumstances you can have all the free public education you want but you're obviously Not creating a a realistic opportunity for kids to go to school, so that too needs to be addressed. There needs to be some baseline of economic, uh, you know, resource, so that you know children are sort of free to go to school in the first place. Um, So there's there's a lot of different aspects to this. It's not an easy fix, Um, but I think there's there's interesting research. Just like how we've established that there's something like a poverty line. And most people intuitively also feel that there is indeed some sort of basic mm. um, threshold under which we don't want anyone to fall. And and this is this is you know this has been discussed for hundreds of years. But notions of a basic income, so that you basically extend and and raise that that sort of level to a point where everybody should be able to have um, you know like a reasonably sort of safe and um, You know sort of existence uh, with some basic economic um, support there is also a growing uh, sentiment that perhaps there's also a a a richest line some sort of Mm -hmm. uh, level of wealth that um, it really people really shouldn't shouldn't go beyond Um, do we really want uh, there to be billionaires whose not just their economic resources, but their political influence and their power um, is at the level of nation states. Uh, right? Do we really want corporations to have such an influence on our democratic process, etc. So those are, I think, important discussions to be had that connect um, inequality to, to opportunities in, in our society.
0: Yeah, most definitely. You pretty much answered my um, my last question by me even asking you. I was going to ask you what, what sort of policy changes that could be made. But I've always had the issue with um, corporations and individuals affecting policies in general. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've never really care too much about how much they earn and how they well how they do earn it does matter in terms of ethics and stuff like that but in regards to the amount but when it comes to affecting policies that affect the regular person and the detrimental effects that can have i've always had major major issues with that um sometimes it feels like they're being pulled up on it but i don't know what's really happening in the back end because lately we've it's it's been a lot of discussions in regards to um, social media powerhouses and some of the corporations Mm -hmm. and their influences within society but there, there was something that you mentioned early on which i kind of i lived through that was the change in sweden because i remember the demographic change and um the segregation that happened when we first moved to sweden we lived in a in in an estate it was a massive complex of estates um it wasn't very diverse at all and i think around that time um was the war in somalia um had kicked off so a lot of migrants came in from somalia and it it seemed like the uh, all of the swedish citizens that lived within that estate all of a sudden got dragged out. I don't know where they disappeared to. I don't know if it was coordinated move, but we didn't get the memo. And then all of a sudden we were all but all the ethnics were kind of like slumped together in one mm. particular neighborhood. Being, being young at that stage, I never really understood what was going on. I just thought it was very cool now. All of a sudden, there's a whole bunch of people that look like me, people that sound different. I was making new friends. I didn't mind as a kid. That, to me, make made no difference whatsoever. Yeah. But now looking back at it, and the more I speak to people about it, I'm like, oh, okay, something significant did happen. Mm-hmm. And I was a part of that significant move that that was occurring at the time yeah and i realized the changes afterwards like you know businesses were leaving the the neighborhood factories were leaving the neighborhood not just the citizens it was it was an economic thing that was happening a strike Mm -hmm. almost as such and it's had an impact on that particular neighborhood till this day i mean yeah and i've been away from sweden for over 20 years so sometimes it is only when you when you play back they realize that it's more than just you know, it's more than just the one or two business. It's, it's a structure as a whole. Mm-hmm. And it has so many various, like, you know, angles to the structure. It has racial, yeah. it has, you know, tribal. It's, it's, it varies across the board. And it's very, very interesting. But um uh, go, going back to, so this is my final question. Going back to your, your your talk initially, the title of the talk was Why We Don't Care About Inequality. Mm-hmm. Um, What does that mean in essence? Is that we as humans don't care or we don't understand enough to care?
1: Mm-hmm. It's it's the latter. I think um, I think we inherently care about inequality, and I think one of the strongest sentiments you you'll hear expressed by by even the smallest child is is unfairness is 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 when their friend gets something and they don't, uh, or their sibling uh, is 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 preferred over them in in their in their minds. Right. So it's it's that sense of unfairness and injustice that that I think really speaks to us. Um, on such a foundational level. Uh, yeah, the, the, the process that I describe in my research is how somehow, paradoxically, growing levels of inequality in many Western settings are going together with actually a, a decreasing level of concern um, and a growing belief in meritocracy. Uh, so I think there's there's something there's there's something yeah really problematic about that. Uh, because it means that the, the discrepancy between reality and perception is growing. And um, from from that situation of kind of distorted biases, uh, views of, of, of the society you live in, it's really hard to expect uh, people to make political choices and support the kind of policies that would uh, you know, potentially really make a difference in society uh, because in, in, in a way they're, they're basically making their political decisions based on false information, uh, based on false assumptions, uh, based on the, the illusion of meritocracy and based on a complete underestimation of how much inequality there is in their society. Um, and that, that in itself, I think, is, is a problem. So if we want to have a, a, a real um, functioning democratic debate about these issues, it needs to start from um, a position of, of an informed public that has a clear view of the circumstances that other people in their society that they're perhaps not directly connected to are living in. And only then, I think, can the democratic process really, really work.
0: Yeah, dr Jonathan it's been an absolute pleasure thank you for that um my do, do you have anything coming up that you like my listeners to know about any works any any anything that you would like them to check out
1: yeah good question um there's always different research sort of in the works yeah. um, but it also is often painstaking how long it takes for for my research to come out as it sort of goes through peer review and a very long publication process. Um, I can just plug uh, the book that I'm currently writing, although it'll be some time before it hits the shelves, but I'm, I'm writing a book um, that is very much on this topic of why we cannot see the full extent of inequality in our societies, mm-hmm. how it is that uh, that growing income inequality and segregation together really distort our, our view. And um, if you're interested, yeah, please stay tuned uh, for that one.
0: Yeah. I, I look forward to reading the book myself and um once I'm going to I'm going to tag your website and everything else on on the link below and um, so forth. And I'm going to keep an eye out for the book and when it does come out I'll read it and then you know I'm going to write my layman's questions down try to figure out what it is you're trying to say and then hopefully we can get back on here again and you can further explain it to me and my audience.
1: I would I would like yeah I would definitely like having uh continuing this conversation. Yeah. It's been it's been it's been fun. And yeah, um it's been I, a Really appreciate the invitation.
0: Oh, thank you. It's been a pleasure. What are you? Got-